different. In fact, we said they're the most quoted book in the New Testament. And so we're, we're not looking at the Psalms so much for information as we are to see and to savor the person of Jesus Christ. Because actually, we can look back and gain more insight into and know better Jesus Christ through the Psalms. And so we began last week by looking at Psalm 2, and we said that the psalmists lifted up Jesus as God's anointed king, his son, who reigns over all the earth. And because he reigns in the face of the nations and of all those who buck off God's rule and say, I don't want to follow the Lord, I don't want to walk his way, because he reigns, the message was, celebrate his rule with fear and trembling. Kiss the son, submit your lives to him. And the, the word was blessed, or oh how deep is the delight of the one who worships him, of the one who takes refuge in him. Okay? And we traced that theme through the scriptures, and we saw that come Revelation, there's this picture of Jesus reigning and ruling and returning to the earth over which he reigns and then carrying out the wrath of God against all sin and ungodliness. In other words, everyone who chooses now not to submit their life, to honor, to revere, to worship the king, will then be judged. So now is the time of God's favor, then is the day of God's judgment against sin and rebellion. Okay? So uh, in Isaiah, when it's prophesied about Jesus, this passage that we love, Behold, the Spirit of the Lord's upon me has anointed me to proclaim good news, to bind up the brokenhearted, to set captives free, to proclaim the time of God's favor and the day of his judgment. There's a long space between those. Now is the time of God's favor. He reigns and he rules. Jesus Christ is Lord of the world. And we're called to celebrate his rule. Now, before we jump into today's psalm, I want to show you one thing. Turn with me in your Bibles to Psalm 149. You remember last week I taught us that Psalm 1 says there are two paths. You can delight in the ways of God or you can live your own way. There's two ways. Remember that? Psalm 150, I want you to notice this, there's nothing left but one way, and that way is worship, praise to the Lord. You know the psalm, praise the Lord, praise the Lord, praise the Lord, praise the Lord, praise the Lord. The psalmists are telling us, this is the end of the story. The other way falls away. The other way is gone. The other way has been judged. The only thing that's left in the end is worship of God. Why is that? Psalm 149 mirrors Psalm 2. Watch this. Starting at verse, um, let's start at verse 5. Let the saints rejoice in this honor and sing for joy on their beds. May the praise of God be in their mouths and a double-edged sword in their hands to do what? To inflict vengeance on the nations, punishment on the peoples, to bind their kings with fetters, their nobles with shackles of iron, 
to carry out the sentence written against them. This is the glory of all the saints. Well, how interesting. Did you catch that? The psalmist is using the exact same words as Psalm 2. In Psalm 2, the rulers of the nations are saying, hey, we don't want God's way and God's law. We don't want him as our king. Let's throw off their fetters and those shackles that bind us. Exact same words in Psalm 149, except now the tables are completely turned. The people of God are binding the nations and the kings who rebel against God. In other words, we who are in Christ are participating with him in his judgment of the world that rebels against God's good will. And what does he say is the instrument of our participation with him? Somebody say it. What is that sword? No. Here. So what does Psalm 149 say? Praise. Worship. Somehow, in God's sovereignty, he is going to use the worship of the church, the body of Jesus Christ, to actually participate in his coming, the return of Christ, and the, 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 the cleansing of the world of, from unrighteousness, from sin and rebellion. Our worship has a role to play. What is that worship? It is the song of the Lamb. It is the song that is sung beginning to end across the book of Revelation by the angels and by the saints. Worthy, worthy, worthy are you to be praised and honored, Jesus Christ. We are to be a people of worship. And one of the ways that we cultivate worship, because it doesn't just happen to us living in a world that does not worship, one of the ways that we cultivate a heart of worship, an attitude of worship, a posture, a life that is aglow with honor to Jesus Christ is by meditating on who he is. And so we're going to look at Psalm 22 and we're going to walk our way through it and we're going to meditate on who Jesus Christ is and what he's done for us. And let me tell you something. The purpose of this is not to get information. The purpose of this is to get revelation into the character and the goodness and the love and the worthiness of our God to kindle within our hearts awe and worship. So let me read Psalm 22 and then I'll say a few more words about that before I begin to preach it. These are David's words. We don't know when in his life they come from. People speculate that this may have come from that last near the end of his lifetime when he was exiled from Jerusalem, driven out by his own son, when his son was doing horrible things, including sleeping with his concubines, and um, he's completely and utterly humiliated. So again, that speculation, we're not sure, but these are David's words, and David prays. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me? So far from the words of my groaning, Oh my God, I cry out by day, but you don't answer. By night, and I'm not silent. Yet you are enthroned as the Holy One. 
You are the praise of Israel. In you our fathers put their trust. They trusted. And you delivered them. They cried to you and were saved. In you they trusted and were not disappointed. But I'm a worm and not a man, scorned by men and despised by people. All who see me mock me. They hurl insults, shaking their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let the Lord rescue him. Let him deliver him, since he delights in him. Yet you brought me out of the womb. You made me trust in you, even at my mother's breast. From birth, I was cast upon you. From my mother's womb, you've been my God. Do not be far from me, for trouble is near and there's no one to help. Many bulls surround me. Strong bulls of Bashan encircle me. Roaring lions tearing their prey open their mouths wide against me. I'm poured out like water and all my bones are out of joint. My heart has turned to wax It's melted away within me. My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You lay me in the dust of death. Dogs have surrounded me. A band of evil men has encircled me. They've pierced my hands and my feet. I can count all my bones. People stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them and cast lots for my clothing. But you, O Lord, be not far off. O my strength, come quickly to help me. Deliver my life from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dogs. Rescue me from the mouth of the lions. Save me from the horns of the wild oxen. I will declare your name to my brothers. In the congregation, I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. You descendants of Jacob, honor him. Revere him, all you descendants of Israel. For he has not despised or disdained the suffering of the afflicted one. He has not hidden his face from him, but has listened to his cry for help. From you comes the theme of my praise in the great assembly. Before those who reverence you will I fulfill my vows. The poor will eat and be satisfied. They who seek the Lord will praise him. May your hearts live forever. All the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord. And all the families of the nations will bow down before him. For dominion belongs to the Lord and he rules over the nations. All the rich of the earth will feast and worship. All who go down to the dust will kneel before him. Those who cannot keep themselves alive. Posterity will serve him. Future generations will be told about the Lord. They will proclaim his righteousness to a people yet unborn. For he has done it. The word of God. When Jesus Christ is on the cross, one of the last things he says 
is Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And he is quoting Psalm 22, verse 1. And I want to make the case to you this morning that Jesus does not feel forsaken by God. And I'll just suggest that to you for a couple of reasons. One, that he has intimate interaction with God the Father in the Garden of Gethsemane before he's on the cross, in which he is actively engaging and being engaged by the Father and is trusting him and his will. So he's saying, Father, if there's any other way, um, take this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. So he trusts the Father there. And at the very end, uh, the Gospels tell us that he's, his, among his last words were, it says, Jesus, um, breathed, Jesus, before he breathed his last, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. So there's this evidence that Jesus, the Son, does not feel forsaken by God. And so why then would those words be on Jesus' lips when he is on the cross? And I want to suggest this. When, when, it, uh, a, New, when a New Testament writer quotes an Old Testament verse, they always intend for you to go back and read the whole passage. To the Jewish mind, you never quote just one verse. You're always referencing the whole section. And so when Jesus takes these words, Psalm 22, verse 1, on his lips, he is saying to, the, to everyone who hears him then and now, this psalm, the whole thing, is about me. It anticipates me and it's fulfilled in me. So as I was saying to you, we're going to go through the psalm, and I'm just going to look at back and forth how does David's real experience anticipate what Jesus experiences. And we'll just meditate on Jesus' experience. But again, I want to remind you we're doing this to cultivate a sense of worth. And so um, I, want to, I want to do something real quick to um, help us do that. And I want to use my phone to do it. Um, this is my... My iPhone, it's three years old, and um, it's a little bit beat up. It's got uh, a bend in it where the top's coming off, and it doesn't quite close you know, to itself all the way, but it still works. And so I wonder if there's anyone here that would be willing to give me $200 for it. Would anyone give me $100 for it? Let's just say it was erased and you could start using it today. Would anyone in here, genuinely, would anyone give me 50 bucks for it? Mark would give me 50 bucks for it. Okay. Peter, you'd give me $50 for it? Okay. Is there anyone that would give me, that wouldn't give me 50, but that would give me 20? They'd say, I'd give you $20 for that phone. Nick would. Yeah, Kelly would. Okay. Dane would. Some of you are starting to think about, I can sell that for more than $20. <laughs> okay, why am, I, why am I, Tammy Wood, why am I doing that? Um, we are willing to pay for something. We assign it a monetary value according to what it's worth to us, right? So this is worth 20 to Dane, Kelly. It's worth 50 to someone else. 
Luke and I could go look at the same car, and I might be willing to pay 1200 for it, and he might be willing to pay 1100 for it. But we assign a value to something based on what that something is worth to us. Now, I want to tell you this. I will never, to the day that I die, forget the time that I heard Todd White explaining this and saying, when you look at the cross, when you look at the suffering of Jesus Christ, you see the value and the worth that God is ascribing to you as an individual. That the eternal Son of God, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the one who has existed from forever, in, through whom the universe was made, and who holds all things together, would say, your life, you hold such value to me that I would pay, that I would give my life. That's why we meditate. That's why we meditate on his suffering. Because in his suffering, in the love that takes him to the cross, is this love for each one of us. Okay? The love that we also return to him. And so David says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me, so far from the words of my groaning? And that word groaning, literally translated, means a lion's roar. What David's trying to say is, I'm yelling as loud as a lion, and you can't hear me. God, you feel so far away from me that I'm doing everything I can to get your attention. And I don't feel like you're hearing a wink or a word of it. Why are you so far from me? Why have you forsaken or abandoned me? In other words, um, why are you letting this happen to me? And why are you letting me die? David is on the brink of death and feels like he's going to die. And so we skip ahead and we read to the end. And we know that David doesn't ultimately get abandoned and that he doesn't ultimately die. But Jesus, when he takes these words on his lips, he'll not be rescued. He'll not be absolved of the call to die. There will be no exit. There will be no escape before death. He tastes death. David David says, I'm a worm. I'm not a man. Scorned by men and I'm despised by people. Worms have to do with death. Worms help things decompose and break down. That's what worms do. I'm, I'm decomposing. I'm dying. David doesn't actually die. Jesus 
Jesus is stripped. Soldiers strip him. They humiliate him. They take off his clothes. And they put a scarlet robe on him. And they twist together some thorns. Anybody ever prick their finger on a thorn? And they push those thorns down into his head. Penny, could you please stop making comments? Thank you. They push those thorns into his head. They put a staff in his hand. And they kneel before him. Hail, King of the Jews. And they spit on him. Spit in his face. They take the staff. They strike him on the head. I looked up that word scorn. And uh, it means to consider one completely um, unworthy of to, to hold somebody in contempt, to, to completely um, deride them. And I thought to myself, this is incredible. Could you imagine, could you imagine saying to the God who made you, You're not even worthy of being looked at. You're only worthy of being spat on. And he takes it. Doesn't say anything. Just lets himself be spat on. He lets himself be hit. He lets the thorns be pushed down into his skull. Takes it. He'd said earlier, if he wanted to, he could call legions of angels. They're all at his disposal. All power in heaven and earth is at his disposal. But silently, he's scorned and he's mocked and he's treated as an object of utter contempt. Jesus. Jesus. David says, all who see me mock me. They hurl insults, shaking their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let the Lord rescue him. Let him deliver him since he delights in him. Matthew records that they, they yell to Jesus, save yourself if you are the son of God. Come down from the cross in the same way, the chief priests also, along with the scribes and elders, were mocking him, saying he saved others. He can't save himself. He's the king of Israel. Let him come down from the cross now, and we'll believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God deliver him now, if he wants to. For he said, I'm God's son. 
This week, I, um, I couldn't write, as I read Psalm 22, I couldn't write a sermon. All I could do was cry and worship. This is what occurred to me. In John 17, in Jesus' high priestly prayer, right before he dies, he says to, to God, Father, glorify me with the glory that I had with you before the world began. In other words, Jesus heading toward the cross, Jesus heading toward abuse and betrayal and mockery and having his body torn open. Jesus knows exactly who he is. He remembers the glory of heaven. He knows what the worship of angels is like. He knows who he is. He knows what he's worthy. He knows his own worthiness. He knows the story. He knows what he's doing. He knows that for all eternity, his praises will be sung. He knows that he's God. Father, glorify me with the glory I had with you before the world began. What? What kind of love is it that knows something like this and yet has the capacity to then turn around and walk straight into abuse and death and scorn and contempt at the hands of the ones that he made and who should be worshiping him, who should recognize him, who should love him, who should thank him. They should all know. And instead of just not knowing, they don't just not know, they give the opposite. They scorn, they mock God. They mock Him. They beat Him with His own creation. They spit on Him. What is it like for him to know who he is, to know his worth and his glory, to know that he's God and to endure this? What is it that takes him through that? This is suffering love. David says, You brought me out of the womb. You made me trust in you even at my mother's breast. From my mother's womb, you've been my God. Why is he saying that? He's saying, this is so hard for me because all I've ever known is a relationship with you, God. All I've ever known is you as my father. And Luke tells us, that Jesus had the exact same relationship with God, but all the more deeper. The Holy Spirit will come upon Mary and overshadow her, and so the child to be born of you will be called holy. He will be a son of God. What, what is it like for him as son of the Father to know that it's the Father's will for him to experience this? What's that like? David uses a metaphorical language 
to talk about his enemies. He talks about strong bulls, roaring lions, opening their mouths. And uh, Jesus, I think the feeling for David is um, there are people all around. Nobody's for me. Nobody understands me. There's people all around me. All they want to do is tear me to pieces. That's all they want to do. This is Jesus on the cross. There are a few of his followers at a distance, but Matthew tells us there are the scribes and the chief priests and the elders and the soldiers, and all they want to do is tear him to pieces, and all they are doing is tearing him literally to pieces. His skin is hanging off his body. He's been whipped and beaten and flogged, and they're literally tearing into him. And he allows for it. David says, My strength is dried up like a potsherd. My tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You lay me in the dust of death. And though David does not die, Jesus, before he is laid in the dust of death, says, I am thirsty. I'm thirsty. David, my tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth, Jesus, I'm thirsty. David says, dogs have surrounded me. A band of evil men has encircled me. They've pierced my hands and my feet. Dogs are not pets in the ancient Near East. They're scavengers. And the thought here is that he literally is on the brink of death and that when one is dying, dogs circle around and they they yip and they yap and they get ready for the kill. And so the picture is that David's hands or feet may literally be being pierced by the, the, the bite of dogs. Jesus Christ's hands and his feet are driven through with something that we might know as railroad spikes, large nails. He allows them to stretch himself out. He allows them to drive those nails one after the other into his feet, into his hands. And Isaiah tells us he was pierced for my transgressions. I rebelled. I went my own way. I wandered into sin. I chose to dishonor God and do many things. And Jesus allowed himself to be pierced for me. He was pierced driven through, cut open with a sword. They divide my garments among them. 
They cast lots for my clothing, says David. And all four Gospels tell us that they divided Jesus' clothing and cast lots for them. In verse 19, David says, But you, O Lord, be not far off. And it's the first time that he uses the words Lord, the personal divine name for God in this psalm. In other words, even though David feels completely forsaken, he doesn't understand what God's doing, why God is allowing this to happen, he says, he uses that personal name for God, O Lord. Same, same with opening the beginning of the psalm. He says, my God, my God. In other words, even in this place of utter desolation, this place of feeling abandoned, he's, you're, st- he, you're still my God. There's still faith. Jesus, in the moments before his death, Father, Father, into your hands, I commit my spirit. There is this trust to the very end. At the very end of the psalm, verse 31, when David says, and we'll get back to this in a minute, but when David says, they will proclaim his righteousness to a people yet unborn, for he has done it, when Jesus is hanging on that cross and all has been finished, you are familiar with the words he spoke, speaks. Jesus says, it is finished, right? Actually, another translation of those same words is he has done it. It is finished or it's been accomplished. He has done it. Jesus from the cross on his way into death is quoting the end of the psalm. I'm moving really slowly and speaking really calmly on purpose. Um, wanting to show you a little bit of what it's like to linger long uh, before the scriptures, to linger long and to meditate. And we've used the image before of uh, a bee and the way that a bee lands on a flower and then it can penetrate and go deep and deep. And you aren't seeing or experiencing here what I experienced this week uh, because I'm doing that. But what I experienced this week when I did that was, was tears, love, worship just caught up in awe over a God who loves so deeply that he would that he would not only give Jesus and that Jesus would not only give himself but that he would script it ahead of time that from all eternity he knew he would give his son and so while I was rebelling while we were rebelling while we were living our lives amiss he was scripting redemption He was looking on our lust and our greed and our hatred and our unforgiveness and our anger and he was scripting his own death, his own redemption. That's amazing. That's amazing love. And David 
doesn't die like he thinks he's going to die. David gets rescued. And so David's full of praise. And there's a lot in this praise, but I'm not going to open it all up. I just want, us to, I want you to see one thing in David's praise that I think is incredible. And I'll, just, I'll run through it real quick. Verse 22, so, so David, David's um, excited that God's come through for him. God's rescued, he's answered, he's delivered, and now he wants to talk about it. And so who's he going to talk to? Who's he going to tell, come praise the Lord with me? Verse 22, he says, I'm going to declare your name to my brothers, brothers and sisters, there's another translation, in the congregation. So first it's, hey, my brothers, my brothers and sisters. Then in verse 23, he widens the circle and he says, hey, all you descendants of Jacob, revere him. All you descendants of Israel, revere the Lord. Then it gets wider. Verse 27, all the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord. Whoa! He just went from calling his own family to the whole nation of Israel to the ends of the earth. Come revere the Lord. Then, that's not enough. He says, why? Because dominion belongs to the Lord. He rules over the nations. And so he says, all who go down to the dust, the dead. Who goes down to the dust? The dead. He says, all you who go down to the dust will kneel before him. That's not enough for him. It's not enough that just the dead are going to worship Jesus. He says, posterity. That's an old word that means every successive generation will serve him. Future generations will be told about the Lord. So you listen to David, who's just been delivered from something that doesn't even come close to what Jesus Christ experiences. And David says, come with me. There's this building swell of praise and of worship. Come with me to praise God who delivered me, he says to his family and his friends. And then he calls the nation of Israel. Then he calls the ends of the earth. Then he says to the dead, you're going to worship God. And then he says, everybody is going to worship God. Why? Because he's done it. Because it's finished. When we move from David to Jesus, we see that the difference between them is not only the depth of their suffering, but the value of their suffering. David's suffering had no redemptive value. It didn't benefit any of us. And not only that, David didn't suffer freely or willingly. David had to suffer. David brought his suffering on himself. I brought suffering on Jesus. And the song that we just sang uh, a couple of minutes ago, I want to call one line to our attention that I don't think is true. It says, it was my sin that held him there. It was not my sin that held him there. It was his love that held him there. My sin needed atonement. His love dictated that he was willing to go to a cross. That he was willing to suffer for me. And so David's praise, congregation, David's worship, David's building swell is an invitation to the church of Jesus Christ to let the Holy Spirit build up within us, build within the church a swell of worship to Jesus Christ. That we would uh, lift our voices with David's, 
but not about David, but about Jesus. And we would say, come with me and worship him. Listen to the, listen, this is what strikes me as I look at David's section of thanksgiving. Listen to these verbs that David, that David uses. Declare, praise, honor, revere, proclaim, bow down, worship. David is calling for a mighty worldwide swell of worship to Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit is calling for a mighty worldwide swell of worship to Jesus Christ. In Revelation 5, there's a scene in heaven where Jesus opens a scroll and there's worship of the Lamb who was slain, that's Jesus. And John writes that the angels all the way out around his throne begin to sing, Worthy, 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 worthy is the Lamb who was slain. Worthy are you to receive glory and honor and power and strength. And John says there are 10,000 times 10,000 angels around the throne. Anybody know how many that is? A hundred million angels around the throne of God. You can't even imagine it. A hundred million angels singing, Worthy, worthy, worthy is the Lamb. And they never stop singing. The 24 elders around the throne just keep worshiping. They worship constantly, constantly. And the song and the call of the Holy Spirit of God from heaven is earth. Join with what's happening in heaven. Have your hearts be lifted up and join with the song of heaven that is the song of the Lamb. And the role of the church on earth right now is to join that song and to call the world to join that song. The Bible says we are a kingdom of priests. Over and over and over it says you've been made a kingdom of priests. You know what priests do? They mediate between heaven and earth. That's what priests do. We are those, and I pray you are them, every one of you. We are those who have glimpsed the beauty and the love and the worthiness of Jesus Christ to be worshipped. Psalm 2 told us that he is king. And in the end, he will use his power to, to destroy those who rise up against God. But he is worthy of being worshipped, not because we're afraid of him. Not because we're afraid of power. He is worthy of being worshipped because of his love and his worthiness. And so our role, church, our call, is to be stirred up continually to worship. Now, We can worship God with our lives of righteousness and holiness. We worship him by the way we live. We worship him in our workplaces by the way we work. Yes, everything in life is worship. But right now I'm talking about the worship that that comes out in terms of a swell of praise like is coming out of David. And so as we head into this Christmas season, this Advent, this expectation, and we remember the coming of Jesus, we are worshiping and praying for his second coming. And I want to ask you, 
Will your family hear you saying what David says to his family? Who will hear in your circle you saying, come with me and declare and praise and honor and revere and bow down before Jesus Christ? He's worthy. He is worthy. He loves you and he is worthy. And so Lindsay is going to lead us in a time of worship as a response. But she's not going to lead a song that we're going to sing. She's just going to sing and worship. And I want to invite you to express your love. Listen to this. Worship is love. It's love. We love. The scripture says we love because he first loved us. He poured out his affection on us. And so we love him back. And so I want to invite all of us just to... to, bask in, meditate on, listen to the words that are being sung, join in them as you feel led. Please feel free to just express your worship to Jesus Christ as he's expressed his love to us. You can stand, you can sit, you can kneel, you can do whatever you'd like to worship the Lord as Lindsay sings.